Pride to Humility, Part 3, and Acts Chapter 4, coming up on The Gray Snapper. Welcome to the Grace Snapper Podcast, the podcast of Grace Church of Napa Valley. I'm your host, Jess Arns. I want to start with a quick encouragement today from the book of Romans chapter 8, and we'll read verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is amazing because we are held captive under sin. Sin was our master. We could do nothing but sin. Even, even when we wanted to do good, we could not because we are trapped in a, in a, in a life of sin, a character of sin. Uh, we, we could not set ourselves free, and therefore we were under God's condemnation. But in Christ, we're set free from that. Because Christ did what we could not do. He lived the law perfectly. He died in our place. He accomplished the righteousness that we needed, and he was perfect in every single way. He never failed, and therefore his life is imputed to ours. It's as if we lived his life. So God rewards us as though we lived Christ's life, and he took the punishment that we deserve for the life that we have lived. And so now, because of that, because we are now in Christ, we're united with Christ, we are no longer condemned. Our sins are no longer hanging over our heads. They are removed. We're forgiven. We're set free. And now we can live freely for God's glory, knowing that we're no longer under His judgment. Praise Him. Well, moving on to our weekly warning... For the third week in a row, I just want to, again, draw your attention to the issue of pride in your life, the issue of pride. We discussed a few weeks ago about how uh, pride manifests itself in our life, and pride is really this sense of self-focus. We believe that uh, life should center on us, that we should be the source of what is good, we should be the standard of what is good, Uh, we should receive the benefits of all good things. It really is self-worship is what pride is, and it shows up in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of venues, and all of us are tempted by it in some ways, but I just wanted to drill down a little bit further and ask, how does pride show up in your own heart and in your own home? Because pride will show itself more readily against the people in your own life specifically your family, the people that you live with, the people that you spend the most time with. You may have a lot of pride, uh, but are good at sort of keeping a lid on it in public or around maybe friends uh, or at church, but it will show up in your home. And uh, just take a moment to consider, how does it show up in your home? Do you despise uh, the other ideas in your home when people get in the way? Uh, Do you hold bitterness against others for not giving you the honor that you think you deserve, or the attention, or the love, or the the deference? Do you want other people to serve you? Do you want other people to take care of the, the needs around the home while you put your feet up? How does pride show up in your home? And then when your home is not what you want it to be, do you grow bitter towards God? 
do you judge God for what he's done in your life? Uh, or if you're suffering, do you grow angry with him and take it out on the people that are closest to you? How does pride show up? And I just want to warn you of that, to not allow pride to fester. And so we talked a couple weeks ago about the manifestations of pride, and there's a bunch of them. Uh, We also talked last time about the manifestations of humility. And now we're going to talk a little bit of how you get from pride to humility. How do you go from here to there? Because it's one thing to know what you ought to do or what you shouldn't do, but how how do you get there? Well, it has to start first with humbling yourself before God. Now, this, see, this, I heard one author put it this way, <clears throat> that we're all naturally born proud, and, and pride is by nature blinding. We, we don't always know that we're proud. But life has a way of humbling us, because life is not all about us. People don't serve and cater to our desires and wants and needs, and uh, God's uh, purposes are not all bent around your preferences. And so life is humbling, and um, we, we are soon exposed to be not as talented or not as wise or as gifted or as valuable as we thought we were or as we wanted to be. And so what do we do when life humbles us? Do we humble ourselves and receive that humbling? Well, we must, once we realize the pride in our life, then we must submit to God in humility. You must lower yourself. James 4, 7 says this, Submit therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and let your joy to, to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Without humility, there can't be any true repentance or change in your life. You have to humble yourself before God, and then you can walk in humility. So you humble yourself before God before you get back up and start walking in that humility. It takes humility to learn humility. This initial humbling is of oneself is a response to the work of the Spirit of God. And then once we've rightly humbled ourselves before God, There are things that we can do by God's grace to stay humble. And again, this comes from Dr. Stuart Scott in his book, From Pride to Humility. Here's the things that you can do to remain humble. Pray for God to help you put off pride. This is where it starts, right? You draw near to him in prayer. And then number two, you can read the Psalms and the prophets to gain a high view of God, because that's really the problem, right? You have an elevated view of yourself, which is in competition with God. To truly humble yourself before him, you have to have a higher view of who he is and his purposes and his righteousness. So read the Psalms, read the prophets. Number three, study Jesus, his earthly examples in the Gospels. Pay attention to how he lived and how he humbled himself. If the God of glory can humble himself like that, who are you to remain proud, right? Number four, ask others that if you come across as proud, that's boy, that's a that's a tough thing to do, isn't it? You, you want to like cringe at, at doing that. Humbling ourselves before others is really that way, and being willing to listen to their response. Do we? Do I come across as proud in any way? Number five, spend lots of time worshiping God, praising and prayer and reading and meditation. Lots of time worshiping. Number six, 
practice the one another principles. That's talking about in Scripture the commands that of what we are to do for one another, serve one another, honor one another, things like that. Practice the one another's. Number seven, work to put off pride and put on humility at the level of your thoughts and your motives, not just how it comes across, not just the things that you say. Start with the level of how you think. Do you think in humble ways or do you think in proud ways? What drives you to do what you do? Do you, do you serve with the purpose of gaining attention or of uh, impressing other people or even impressing yourself? Number eight, um, work to put off pride and put on humility at the level of your communication and your words. So start with your thoughts and motives, then pay attention to your words. And I don't mean putting on false humility, uh, turning the attention away from yourself to focus on God and, and others. Number nine, work to put off pride and put on humility at the level of your deeds. What does that look like? How do you, what, what are things that you do uh, to show, to, to be humble, right? And that, that would involve most often some kind of service of doing things that you thought were beneath you but now you've recognized is something that you ought to do out of, hum- <clears throat> out of humility and love. Number 10, have the mindset that humility must be a way of life. Humility must be a way of life. This is how we are to live. Um, so when we see ourselves rightly in reference to God and others, we will be humble, and we will shine with God's glory. I love this in Isaiah fifty-seven, fifteen. For this, thus says the high and exalted one, who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on high, on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God wants to, he wants to help and lift up and exalt the humble. So those are some practical tips for overcoming pride and putting on humility in your life. And uh, what a place this would be if we all practiced that. All right, now we get the great privilege of opening up the book of Acts again and picking up where we left off at chapter 4. I love this. This is such an awesome book. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. This is uh, right after they healed the guy in the temple, and then he preached the gospel. Peter and John, picking up in verse 1 of chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Wow. Remember, they had, they had just conspired to get Jesus resurrected. And now there's this whole crowd gathering around. They're really concerned about what's going on. Number three, or verse three. And they laid hands on them. And they put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of men came to be, listen to this, the number of men who believed came to be about 5,000. That's insane. 5,000. No wonder the Sadducees and Pharisees were concerned. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. 
and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, now before we move on, remember, Jesus said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, that you would be clothed with power from on high to be his witnesses. That's what, it, that's what had been promised to the disciples right before Jesus was lifted into heaven. You would be clothed with power from on high in order to be my witnesses. And this is exactly what's happening here. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the power from on high, now goes about powerfully preaching the gospel to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Rulers and elders of the people, Verse 9, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He speaking of Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Now, again, before we go further, notice they saw the confidence of Peter and John. Now, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Remember, there was a time not too long ago when Peter had been recognized as being with Jesus. That was in the courtyard where there was this little servant girl who recognized that he had been with Jesus, and he denied Jesus three times. Remember that? This time he is in the middle of the court after Jesus had been crucified, and now this time Peter is full of confidence and unafraid. And you know what, what else is amazing is that Peter knew at this point that at some point he was going to be crucified because Jesus had told him that that was what was going to happen. He was going to be crucified at some point. So knowing that, he is here unafraid, preaching the gospel with boldness. All right, they recognize that he had been with Jesus, verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. Isn't that amazing? They know that this miracle took place, but they did not want it to be uh, something that took away their power and, and took people away from their influence. Verse 18, when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They were commanded to by Jesus himself to proclaim this. They can't stop. There are times when it's appropriate to disobey 
the authorities. And this was, if, if they try to stop us from speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is a clear-cut time when we should disobey the authorities. Verse 21, when they had threatened them, further letting them go, finding no basis on which to punish them, on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened, for the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, It is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That's a quote from Psalm 2. For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. See that there? God's in control even of the, the murder of Jesus using Herod and Pilate and the, the rulers of the Jews. God predestined it. Verse 29, And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence. Notice what they didn't pray for. They, didn't, they did not pray for safety. They prayed for confidence to speak the name of Christ. Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Verse 29. Verse 30. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus." An abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who is also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who he owned a tract of land, he sold it and brought it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And that is the honeymoon phase of the early church. Really amazing stuff going on. And I just love, I love, love, love that when the Holy Spirit filled them, it was to be bold in their proclamation of the gospel, no matter the suffering and the threats that they faced. May we be that way. Well, thank you for listening to The Gray Snapper a podcast of Grace Church in Napa Valley. If you'd like more information about Grace Church, you can go to gracenapa.org. And until next time, Grace Snappers, keep swimming. (laughs) 